May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to uh, share a part of my story about coming to the Episcopal Church. In college, uh, I went to a small liberal arts college in um, southern Illinois, Greenville College, about an hour east of St. Louis. And, uh, and that, that small town had uh, it was like 7,000 people in the town, about 1,000 people at the college. And at some point, the religion and philosophy faculty uh, who had all gotten their PhDs from a Jesuit university decided that they were not super thrilled with the Free Methodist Church in their town, and they started a new Free Methodist Church, again, in a town of like 7,000 people. And um, that Free Methodist Church, they used the Book of Common Prayer for their liturgy. I think secretly they all wanted to be Episcopalian, uh, the, the, the religion department, but they had to be Free Methodist. And a wonderful, wonderful group of people. And I started going to that church, and it was the first time I was introduced to liturgy, to a, like a liturgical tradition. And uh, it was really striking to me. I really worried about all of the rules that they had for liturgy. As a low Protestant, all those rules really concerned me. But there are parts that I really loved about it also. And um, a whole bunch of us in my friend group were going to this church, and it, was a, it, it felt radical to us in some ways, you know? And um, sometimes this church would have some of the students preach every once in a while, you know? Some of like the, sen the seniors, you know? And uh, I remember as a freshman sitting in our dorm having a conversation about, well, what are the rules for who gets to preach at this church, you know? And like we went around, the blind leading the blind, you know, <laughs> truly, I tell you. And, um, and I'm gonna tell you what this person actually said, I think, and then I'm gonna tell you how I heard it. I'm pretty sure what they said, and I'm pretty sure the rule that they understood was that there were no rules. You didn't have to be ordained, for instance, but you had to be a celebrant the week before. A celebrant, which I'm pretty sure, having now been a priest and kind of understanding the rules, meant that you had to be with the church before and celebrate the Eucharist. One who like celebrates the Eucharist is like a celebrant, you know, you've been a celebrant at the service. What I heard was, if you're going to preach in this church the week before, you have to be celibate. <laughs> this greatly concerned me. What did that have to do with preaching? I just, I, I like, I, I, I respected it as a rule, like everyone gets to make their own rules. I just couldn't figure out the why, you know? And of course, um, you know, being who I am, I thought I would love to be a, a preacher and at this church. And I was like, you know, um, 
I'm going to be okay, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in, t in the, the reading today from Romans deals a lot with um, the law and sin and righteousness. I'd like to suggest that um, laws are like really important to us. That well, it is not a function um, that we are going to get rid of eventually as a species. And here I have on mind only the raising of like three children. The, the rules, the things that we help govern us um, uh, allow for a flourishing life and they're good. Um, our son is getting older. He said, uh, we asked him, you know, uh, came back from camp this last week and with this new sound, new sense of like freedom, wanted to stay up really late and we said, no, we're having a rule against that. But also Paul's interested in the larger guiding principles for the law. He talks about the law dividing them between sin and righteousness. I thought today we would just pause for a minute and try to think kind of deeply about what it is that makes something sinful and what makes something righteous. Nicholas, I'm looking at you. Nicholas, have you ever heard the word sin? Have you ever heard that word? No, okay, perfect, good. Raising you right, man, you know? What's something that makes something bad? You wanna help us out at all? What's something that is like, will make something bad? Yes, absolutely, Lena, what do you think? Sin, what is it? If it harms another person. If it harms another person. I love that. Anybody else have an idea? Nicholas? Help us out here, man. Okay, you just keep thinking about it. What's the root of sin? Uh, one of the best sermons I've heard on sin, um, the preacher suggested that sin from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, all the way through um, the book of Revelations, the common underlying theme of sin is that it is the fear that there will not be enough. The fear that there will not be enough. Righteousness is the opposite. <laughs> um, what I want to suggest about righteousness is that, so the, the, the small story about sin is that it feeds off that very ancient tribal part of our brain that when we see a new person someone different from us, there is an immediate paralyzing fear of that newness. That there won't be enough resources, there won't be enough water or food 
there isn't enough tent space to accommodate one person, that that person might steal from us, that that person's um, existence is a threat. Comes from a very ancient part of our brain. It's understandable. It helped us survive for a long time. Well, I suggest the opposite of that, righteousness, is the ever-deepening belief and understanding and perception that difference, the difference of other people, is how we understand how the image of God grows and deepens and changes. The difference of other people is the mode of our salvation, our better understanding of God. For Paul, there are just two paths in the world. One is the dominion of sin. The other is the dominion of righteousness. Now, just as I, just as those kids in that freshman um, dorm room talking about the rules at their church, the blind leading the blind, we, without even um, a reflexive uh, uh, pause, project all of our own fears, all of our own baggage onto those words, sin and righteousness. We live in a culture and a society that has used those terms to shame people, to shame. Um, but Paul gives a very clear, rough um, evaluation at the end. What brass tacks do these things mean? mean? Paul says that the wages of sin are death. The wages, of sin, the wages of righteousness are eternal life. Sin leads to death. So we can think about the things that we have been taught that are sinful and think, does that actually lead to death? The death of the community, the death of person, the death of relationships, or does it lead to flourishing? Does it lead to life? Does it lead to resurrection, new life where there was once death? Now, the genius of uh, St. Paul and the incarnation of Jesus, uh, the central teaching there is that both of them knew that even though rules are great and good and important, and essential for how we form communities, as people, we will misunderstand rules. We will take the rules that are good and use them for bad purposes. So both Jesus and St. Paul ask us to take a step back and look at the broader community. Paul says that we are baptized into this dominion, the dominion of righteousness, where rules, our life together, should bring about the diversity and inclusion of all people 
through that diversity, inclusion of all people, we get to know God better, ourselves better, and that is life. So Paul says, let your whole life be baptized into the life of Christ. That our whole life walk on the way of peace, forgiveness, grace, justice. Jesus was so concerned oftentimes about Sabbath, about the Sabbath, about the rules that we have for rest. The community, the people of Israel um, knew that rest was good and important. So there's the commandment to rest every day of the week, once a week um, on the Sabbath. When the Pharisees saw that the disciples were picking heads of grain in the Gospel of Mark, they said, why are your disciples not resting on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and needed food? They entered the house of God and ate the, pres the bread of the presence, which is not lawful to do. Jesus said, the Sabbath is made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. These rules that we make are made for our flourishing, for eternal life, for our growth and our love and our understanding of each other, not for death. And so Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Below all our rules is this fundamental principle that they should be for eternal life. This week is uh, Fourth of July and we celebrate uh, the birth of our country, the founding of our country. I just wanted to pause and reflect on a similarity that I see both in the Gospels and in the nature of the way that our country was founded before, before the Bill of Rights, before we began to legislate our common life together, our common rules, there is the Declaration of Independence. Before there are the particular laws, there is something even more essential to that that all people are created equal under God. Martin Luther King took that principle to mean that there are some laws that are not laws. Just because something has been written down as a legal code does not make it just. Only those laws that uphold those fundamental virtues and values, the deeper value of justice and equality, do those things become what Paul calls righteous. Thus, Martin Luther King broke certain laws in order to uphold the larger, more central righteousness. So with the news this week, Supreme Court interpreting laws one way and another, we read this passage from Romans. 
and think, how can we be a society in which that central character shines through and helps us interpret the particular nature of our rules with one another? So I was going to this church in um, Greenville, uh, Free Methodist Church, that used the Book of Common Prayer for its worship service. And a lot of the stuff was new to me. But one thing that they did that I'd never heard uh, was that they, you know, they read through the Bible in a way that the churches that I'd been a part of had not. And we got to Ash Wednesday, my first year there, and I went to the Ash Wednesday service, and I heard a piece of scripture that I'd never heard before. What Paul and Jesus ask us to do for laws is a furtherance, a continuance, a fulfillment of what Isaiah pointed to. Every Ash Wednesday, we read this passage. And I pray that it leads us still today. On the law, on our rules for each other, Isaiah asks, why do we fast? Why humble ourselves? Look, you serve your own interests on the fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, to strike with a wicked fist. Paul might say, your fasting leads to death. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bounds of injustice, to undo the thong of yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to not break every yoke? Is fasting not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin, then when you fast this way, your light shall break forth like the dawn. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places. Make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairs of the breach, the restorer of streets to live on. The Word of God.